Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Good to look to God's Word together. If you have a Bible, take it out to Psalm chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's actually one either under or near the seat around you, and it's on page number 450 in the Bibles that are available here. My name is Ted Stetzer, and I have the privilege of sharing with you this summer as uh, Pastor Nate's on uh, sabbatical. I talked to him yesterday, which I believe is a violation of a significant number of sabbatical rules. Uh, but, uh, but we had a good chat, and he's uh, doing well, spending time in the Lord, refreshing, spending time with his family, and more. So I'm going to be filling in some over the summer, kind of helping out where he might have been. And so I look forward to walking with you through the book of Psalms together. In addition to our other uh, teaching team members here, we've got an amazing teaching team here at Park Church you'll, you'll hear from uh, this summer. We're going to look at Psalms. Uh, and, and again, uh, when you're talking about an individual Psalm, we'll say Psalm 8. When you're talking about the whole collection, we call them Psalms. And the book of Revelation doesn't have an S at the end, just so you know, as we get the S's and the non-S's. Um, But we're going to look today at Psalm 8, the majesty and glory of God. And here's the key thing. Matter of fact, here's where I'm going. God is God and you are not. We could end the message at that point, but we're going to see just how big of a deal that is. And Psalm 8 is our text today. Here's what it says. It says, um, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have... um, You have set your glory above the heavens out of the mouth of babes and infants. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So a little introduction to the book of Psalms. We're starting at Psalm 8. We're not going to do all the Psalms. There's a lot of them, but we're going to hit some highlight Psalms um, over the summer. And this is Psalms, or the Psalter, is actually one of the um, most loved parts of the Bible that we're going to walk through this summer. Uh, The Hebrew word for song is mizmor. The Greek term is psalmos, which is where we get our English term to talk about psalms. Uh, and, and we're going to look through these, uh, pr- actually the Hebrew word speaks of this as uh, praises, which is kind of the subject of so many of the Psalms. But that's not the only subject. This is clearly a Psalm of praise, but there are Psalm of lament, uh, there are Psalms of lament, there are Psalms that, uh, that well, all different kinds, I don't have time to unpack all of those. This one is actually a Psalm to the choir master, and some of these Psalms are written, they say who it's written by or who it's written to. Uh, sometimes we don't know what the words mean. You may have heard the words Selah. People use the word Selah sometimes. And sometimes people will say, well, it means this or that. We don't actually 100% know what some of the musical references mean in here. Uh, about half the Psalms, 73 of 150, are attributed to David, as is this one. So David wrote songs. We know that from 2 Samuel. He was a skilled musician. We know that from 1 Samuel. Uh, and he was actually called the sweet psalmist of Israel in 2 Samuel 23. Now, Psalm 8 is a much-loved psalm. It's, it's, it's a much-loved psalm. It's a messianic psalm in that it re- applies to the Messiah on, uh, on four places in Matthew, Hebrews, 1 Corinthians, and Ephesians. All point to this psalm in the New Testament, pointing back to it related to the Messiah. And so the point of Psalm 8 is pretty clear, right? God is God and you are not. And we kind of see the distinction between the two as we walk through this. Our God is big enough to know, create, and 
oversee everything, and yet he cares for every one of us. And so we're going to look through this psalm, walk through this psalm, and see ultimately how we relate and who God is. God is God, you are not, and how God cares deeply for you. So the first thing I'm going to look at is the unparalleled glory of God. Clearly the psalmist wants us to see the unparalleled glory of God. There's nothing like God, and then he's going to walk through us to see what that looks like little by little. The first thing is God is glorious in majesty. This is so important that it's in verse 1 and restated in verse 9. So it actually begins and ends with this theme. It says this, O Lord, our Lord. Now I want you to look closely. If you look on the screen, you can see the words. You'll notice that O Lord is capitalized. Our Lord is not capitalized. So in your English Bible, uh, when the word Yahweh is used, it's actually translated as Lord, but with all capital letters, the proper name of God. So L, capital L, capital O, capital O, uh, R, capital D. So it starts with this Lord idea. So the first one capitalized in most versions is Yahweh, the personal covenant name for God. And the second is Adonai. So if we didn't translate those words, it would say Yahweh, our Adonai, uh, the idea of Adonai being the, um, the, the idea of master, lord, or ruler. So God is glorious. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <clears throat> so, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So it very begins with a very high view of God. And I think that's important for us to acknowledge a very high view of God, right? So God's not our big buddy upstairs. You probably don't start a prayer with, what's up, God? Uh, you want to acknowledge that God is God. He is glorious. He is unparalleled in his glory. He's glorious in his majesty, right? So the psalm starts with this, O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh Adonai, and God is glorious because he's the king over all creation, right? So I don't want you to miss this, right? Because sometimes people might say, well, well, I mean, we really know now. They didn't know then how big the universe was. I mean, think about this, right? So when this is written thousands of years ago, they in all likelihood thought that the world, uh, the stars revolved around, the sun and the stars and the universe revolved around the earth. That's what everybody thought then, right? It's, it looks like it now. You look outside, you watch things, they sort of move around the earth. So they, they thought the earth was the center. And, and maybe, maybe you know, then they thought of Jerusalem as the center of the earth and, and God reigning there. And so, but now we know we're so much more sophisticated than them, right? We know that the universe is this ever-expanding reality, almost beyond our capacity to understand. We know that, that we're just this floating speck of dust in a minor galaxy on the edge of the universe. And so, so maybe we've sort of outgrown this knowledge, this understanding that God, the earth's not the center of the universe, and, and Jerusalem's not the center of the earth, and what does this mean? Well, Princeton astron- astronomer Henry Norris Russell concluded a lecture on the, the Milky Way, our little galaxy in the universe. And a woman came up to him and asked, knowing he was a person of faith, he said, if our world is so little, if it's basically a minor sun on one of the edges of the arms of the Milky Way, If our world is so little, she said, and our universe is so great, can we believe God really pays attention to us? Dr. Russell replied, that depends, madam, entirely on how big a God you believe in. So I think one of the things that the psalmist is reminding us of is that centuries later, we'd read this psalm, and we'd sort of know that the universe is far bigger than they might have known thousands of years ago, but God knew 
And so therefore the psalmist is reflecting under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here in the inerrant word of God. The psalmist is saying, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And at the end it says again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, once you understand how big God is, and you use, in this case, God's name, Yahweh and Adonai, it changes really everything, right? Knowing who God changes everything. Knowing the author, knowing the divine author, knowing the name of the divine author changes everything. On April 30th, 2013, Robert Galbraith released a crime novel. It's called uh, Cuckoo's Calling, and it sold uh, 500 copies in the first uh, few months. I've written some books that have sold 500 copies in a few months. Um, Many store owners were considering pulling the book from their shelves, but news on July 14th, 2013, would that be three months after the book came out, kind of changed all that. You see, somebody leaked the information that Galbraith was a pseudonym for J.K. Rowling. And, of course, her Harry Potter frame. And from there, sales skyrocketed. It went to the top of the, of the bestseller list. The mention of Rowling's name changed everything. When we know the creator, it changes our understanding of the creation. Maybe it changes our understanding of the value of the creator himself. So the psalmist starts in Psalm 8, clearly saying to us, God is glorious in majesty. And I want you to hear that, majesty. God is glorious in his majesty. There's nothing that you can mentally contain that expresses all of who God is, how amazing he is, how large he is, how powerful he is. Your mind cannot contain that. And the psalmist says that, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Then then there, God is glorious in sovereignty. God is glorious in sovereignty, right? Remember, God is God and you are not. We're going to get to more, but here's what it says in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. It says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Interesting phrase from, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and avenger. So David first marvels at God's glory above the heavens, and now he marvels that God uses the strength of children to silence or still his enemies. So compared to God, his enemies are puny, not even a match for little kids, right? Matter of fact, what's interesting is this passage, I mean, the Psalms are so beautifully quoted in the New Testament. So Jesus actually referring to this passage uh, later on, what, what happened was Jesus, the, some people were coming up to Jesus. The religious leaders were kind of mad um, that the children were following out or calling out or crying out to Jesus, and they didn't really like that. And so Jesus kind of takes this, <laughs> I mean, imagine they're complaining about this, and so here's what Jesus says. So Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies? He's actually quoting the psalmist. You have prepared praise. And so Jesus says, oh yeah, I can see they're irritating you, but But this is actually something that, well, points to the fact that I am worthy of praise. Only Jesus could say that. In that passage, Jesus made it clear, his deity, and declared that the indignant religious teachers were the enemy and the avenger. So this verse is used. Right, so, so, and throughout the Bible, the idea that God would use the weak to confound the strong shows his strength, not his weakness, right? So out of the mouths of babes and infants, he, over and over again, he uses the weak to confound the strong because that's what he does because he's all-powerful. So he can shock and surprise those who think they're powerful by using things out of the mouth of babes and infants. And this is a common theme throughout the Bible. 
There's actually probably the most famous verse that speaks to this is 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 27 through 29. Here's what it says. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So it's to miss this. So there's a clear sense that God, who's all-powerful, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, is actually uses the weak, maybe, and maybe that's you. I mean, hopefully after hearing just how powerful and majestic God is, you might acknowledge and recognize that God is God. You are not. You are weak compared to a good, holy, perfect, sovereign, and all-powerful God. But God uses the cries of babies to show his strength. He can certainly use his strength in you. So don't miss this, right? So God is big. He's not your buddy. He's big. He's powerful. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. And we understand the glory of God seen here. How can we do anything else but worship him and give him praise? So I, I know, I know um, my, my, my home church is, uh, is like, we're like Park Church, we, there's kind of a pattern we've all kind of moved into, into, um, into American Christianity. And here's, here's part of the pattern, and, and, uh, and, I, and I get it. Um, we kind of start showing up once the music starts, right? So, um, and that's not historically always been the case, right? There would be the case if you went back 500 years, everyone would be in their seats at the beginning of the service, and there would be a, a call to worship or, or maybe a, uh, some sort of announcement that it would begin. And, and, and I recognize that cultures shift and cultures change, but let me say, one of the reasons for that is, is because when we praise before the message, as we do it here, we're actually engaging in something that speaks to the very sovereignty, character, power, importance of who God is. So when I'm here and I'm ready and I, we begin, it's not the music's the time to come in, but it's I'm here because, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and I'm preparing myself as I walk in to worship and acknowledge and get in that right relationship with the God who is the ruler of all the universe. So the passage starts with, number one on our outline, the unparalleled glory of God. Number two is the creative work of God. So it's fascinating how this kind of walks through. It's one of my favorite psalms. Um, reminds us that God is God. You, I am not. Um, so now David turns to this powerful theme uh, that God has created. He is the creator God. So let's look through that, right? So um, I'm going to, uh, well, let me just give first. God chose to create everything. So in his goodness, in his sovereignty, in his power, it says this in Psalm 8.3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Now, I want you to know there's something going on here that we wouldn't necessarily know because we didn't live thousands of years ago when this was written. Uh, thousands of years ago, people don't do this today, but thousands of years ago, people actually worshiped the moon and the stars. And so there were significant religions that worshiped the moon, the moon god. There were, we might even think in terms of astrology or constellations where people might worship something related to the stars. And so, so when the psalmist writes this, it's more than just saying that God created those things. He actually says, the work of your fingers. In other words, you didn't break a sweat to create the moon that some people worship. So he's actually reminding them of just how significant and important God is. The moon and the stars which you have set into place. It's actually a contrast to the peoples 
who would worship moon, stars, or whatever else it may be. So the reminder for us is that God has creatively worked in this world. So um, I'll, like I said, I'll be here for a few weeks. On August 14th, I'll actually bring my daughter with me to church. Uh, I have three daughters, which is uh, both a statement of my situation and a request for prayer. Because um, well, the last one's going off to college. The last one's going off to college. And on August 14th, I will preach here and uh, probably then go over to uh, Lou Mitchell's, which is kind of the, the place that Route 66 begins. So she's, um, she doesn't appreciate the awesomeness of Route 66, but she's going to school in Los Angeles. And so we're going to be driving Route 66, and by the time she's done, she's going to know all the songs. She might know about the TV show. Um, she's going to enjoy Route 66. Um, so we'll start here, right? So that's August 14th. I'll come here. My daughter and I will get in the car, and we will drive to California together. It's a five, we're going to take five days stopping in all the kitschy places along the way. Um, but one of the places that's not so kitschy that we're going to stop at is the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, I'd actually visited the Grand Canyon once before. Donna's, Donna's my wife, and uh, I was speaking at something in Phoenix, and Donna said, uh, it was wintertime, and she's, and, uh, well, wintertime here, which is seven months, but, uh, but it was nice in Arizona. We landed in Phoenix, and Donna said, hey, we have a day. Why don't we just go up and spend the night at the Grand Canyon? So I was like, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. She's never been to the Grand Canyon. So we drove up to the Grand Canyon and uh, found a place we were able to stay, and and we drove up, and, and to be perfectly honest, we, we, we had a fight along the way. I know you don't have fights in your relationships, but Don and I still have arguments because it appears I'm still deeply sinful. Um, we had an argument along the way, so we weren't having a great time. So we get up there, and it was nice in Phoenix, and by the time we got to the Grand Canyon, I, I learned later, I didn't know this, that there are regular big storms and winter storms, and they close the roads, and, and so I didn't check these things. Anyway, so we get up there, we get into our little place where we're staying, and then we go out to the edge of the Grand Canyon, and basically all we see is a cloud. I mean, there's no canyon. It's like, you know, it's like this snowstorm has come up because it's still the heightened, the heightened elevation. So there we are standing at the Grand Canyon in a bad mood because we're kind of in an argument with one another. We took a four-hour drive in the middle of nowhere, and we're like, there's nothing here. This is, the Grand Canyon is the lamest thing ever. <laughs> it may not be that right timing, but anyway. So we uh, went to bed that night having driven to the Grand Canyon to see absolutely nothing. I mean, we couldn't even tell. It was like, you know, you can go to sort of the edge of the Grand Canyon, and so we're, and, and, but literally six feet out is all just, it's all just cloud. And so, so we, I look at the radar on that point, and I realize that I should have checked this beforehand because it goes on for a while. So we wake up the next morning. By then, we've made up um, because, you know, never go to bed angry. So by then, we've made up. We get up in the morning, and it's still cloudy and snowy, and the roads are closed and all this sort of stuff. And so it's so like, okay, this was a really dumb idea. And I'm hoping, because I'm going to take Caitlin, my youngest, we're going to drive Route 66, take a little side trip to the Grand Canyon. But basically, when you're driving five days, you only got one shot at the Grand Canyon. So, and that was Donna and me. We were like, okay, well, I guess we're going to go home. So we packed up our bags, and we went into the car, and we said, let's take um, just one more walk to the rim. We were staying at the South Rim. There's a little I don't know what they call it, a lodge there. So we packed up our bag. The road was open, so we we're going to get out. And so we walked up to the rim one last time. And, uh, you know, the reason it was there was clouds. It wasn't just like fog, but, you know, it was cloud level because the Grand Canyon's a big, big, big canyon. It's grand. Um, so, so we walked up, and at that moment that we walked up, we were just like, okay, just one last try. Um, 
because if you've ever been there, it's just this huge, it's just as long, it's across the entire panorama of the landscape, um, we could actually see right over there the edge of the cloud. And it, it moved quickly because it was with the wind, and it just goes, and it was like a curtain, and there was the entire Grand Canyon in front of us. And it was like a stunning punch to the gut. It was like a, it was like a feast for the eyes. It was as if something unimaginably beautiful had been revealed before us in that very moment. And, and at that moment, we, just, we both gasped. We gasped. Now, at that moment, <laughs> I... I Took a picture, you know, because I use Twitter a lot. I took a picture, and I, I think I tweeted, Atheists, your move. Because <laughs> it was like, this is amazing. And the psalmist writes, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, or when I look at things like the Grand Canyon or, or things like mountains and oceans and valleys, and we can look up, we can look around, and we can see God created the heavens and the earth, right? It says the work of your fingers. God created the heavens and the earth, and David reflects on the wonder of God's creation. They are his act. They are God's act and God's work. And us the heavens are vast beyond comprehension but from God's perspective like the digits of his fingers that's what we call anthropomorphism God God the digits of his fingers right he just fixed them up I'll put some stars I'll put some moon this is nice so creation in Genesis 1 to Genesis 2 3 is actually causes Israel to worship Yahweh as the only creator and the only one worthy of praise so with the naked eye you can see not in Chicago not in the city but if you get out some into more of the darker areas where there's less light less sea light you can see about 5,000 stars right with a four inch telescope you can see about two million stars with a 200 inch mirror of a great observatory you can see more than a billion stars the universe is so big that if we were to travel at the speed of light it would take 40 billion billion years to reach the edge of the universe and considering the heavens makes us see the greatness and glory of God now here's the thing at this point you're kind of at the middle of the verse and there's about to be a pretty big shift in the verse because at this verse God could be the divine clockmaker so I come from a family who genuine generally believes in God but doesn't believe he's at work in the world. Um, I mean, it's hard to, and I, and I, I think ultimately uh, many people would say there seems to be some force that helped put together the world, the universe, the creation itself. If you watch the History Channel, you'll find out it's the aliens. I'm not sure it's all history on the History Channel anymore. Um, but I think you can acknowledge that, but for some people, like a lot of my family, they, they would say, yeah, I mean, God created all this, and then he kind of went away. Or, or maybe he's still there. I mean, he's not gone or dead, but he's not engaged and involved in the everyday life. And that's where you can come to the conclusion. But here's the thing I don't want you to miss. God is God, and you are not, right? That, that's not the totality of the story. If that was the totality of the story, I mean, it, it would still be that there's a God, and he's all-powerful, and he rules, but he doesn't care. He's not engaged. He doesn't see. He doesn't uh, show his love. And yet, the next verse is a huge shift that changes everything for you and for me. It's a huge transition that by understanding the next words, it is life to you and to me. Because the next thing is God chose humanity as the height of his creation. Huh. 
God chose humanity as the height of his grace. And so Psalm uh, 8.4 says this. It says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right? So, so wait a second. So, and you could say nothing, right? So this is the transition verse. I mean, God is God. God is big. God is powerful. God created all. God is God. You are not. That's all you need to know. Well, there's more. God chose humanity as the height of his creation. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. David's astounded the wonder that he should give such a place in creation to men and women. And man here is, is, is a term for immortal, weak men and women, emphasizing weakness and insignificance compared to creation. Yet God thinks of us. He thinks of him or her. So given how vast creation is from our perspective, it's kind of a wonder that God created us above all else in creation. How vital are people to God? This is key, right? How vital are people to God? He is mindful of us. He cares for us. He's a sovereign God, judge, yet he cares for men and women. This is consistent without scripture, throughout the scriptures. God is quick to forgive. He's slow to anger. Look at Psalm 103, verse 8. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So the one whose fingers flick the moon into existence is also loving and caring. And the Bible regularly proclaims God as creator. So take some time to, to dwell on the wonder and glory of all. Right? Think about it all. Right? The sun gives light and life without burning us to a crisp just because of right where we are. Look at the wonder of nature, how ecosystems depend on one another, how plants and animals relate to and depend on one another. Our universe is amazing on the macro and the micro level, and all this comes from God. So it should evoke humility, and I think that's what it does. David's not saying, and we're kind of a big deal in the midst of this, but he's saying, how is it, Lord, that you even think about these things? So I told you, God is God and you are not, and I am not, right? God is God and you are not, but here's the other part, and God cares deeply for you. So let's look at number three on our outline, the surprising glory of humanity, of men and women, right? So here it is, right? God is God, you are not, and God cares deeply for you. God gave us authority second only to himself. It says this in Psalm 8:5, you have yet you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Now, the sequence of verses uh, 5 through 6 show in kind of poetic form how God decreed or laid out the status of humanity. It's remarkable because God has crowned us with attributes normally ascribed to God. Glory and honor, verse five, shows glory in the past, verse six, in the present. So, but humanity's not equal or divine, or divine and equal to God. All the things we have that show us glory and honor are there because God gave them to us. Watch this, right? You, God, are mindful of him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You, God, crowned him with glory and honor. You gave him dominion. We are not God. God is God. You are not. Yet God deeply cares for you. We're a little lower than the heavenly beings, right? It's Hebrew word for God, Elohim. Some versions, um, like the King James Version, say angelic beings. Some, like the version we use, the ESV and the NIV use a more general heavenly beings. Uh, I know this translate uh, just lower than. And it's a great place here to remind us that one of the best ways to understand the Bible is to let Scripture interpret Scripture. So if you look at Hebrews 2.9, we get more details about what, who these people, what these beings are. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of suffering and death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So everything men and women lost in the fall was reclaimed through Jesus, but we ultimately see ourselves in this special place of creation. David could have compared us to animals, but there's something different. We're above in a different category, right? Uh, Even science, who has now nothing in some places about God, would say there's something different about sentient beings. We would say that's being made in the image of God. So earlier on the service, we sang, here in the love of Christ I stand. What a beautiful reminder, because God who created all, who is O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Loved us so much that we could sing here in the love of Christ, I stand. So God gave us authority over all created life. God gave us authority over all created life. It says in verse 6 through 8, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea whatever passes along the seas. Now, we hear that centuries later, and we're not necessarily, I'm I'm guessing none of you are particularly engaged on a day-to-day basis with sheep and oxen. But there's a sense that this talks about creation, right? We steward and have dominion over creation, which reminds us of what's called the creation mandate in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and all the birds of the heaven and over everything that moves on the earth. So again, this reminds us that, and again, there's more to this, right? We, we want to care for creation. We want that to be a value. We want to care for the world around us. And it also reminds us that all women, men, young people, born and unborn, unborn, from this race, from this ethnicity, from this mental capacity, everyone all created in the image of God, the Imago Dei, and worthy of dignity and respect. So that's why, you know, things like racism and dehumanizing perspectives just don't make sense in light of this psalm. Every person created in the image of God. And then the psalm ends where it beautifully begins. So again, it's, it's what's called an inclusio. Uh, it begins and ends with the same thing. It's a literary device that the psalmists and others sometimes use. So it ends with, O Lord, our Lord. So remember, every time you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh. That's the personal and covenant name of God. So Yahweh, our Lord, Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, this is a hard truth sometimes. Um, sometimes it's said in the midst of pain and difficulty. Sometimes it's said in the midst of rejoicing. So I'll be at the Grand Canyon in three days after I'm with you in August. I'll be at the four days after that. I don't know how long it's going to take. We'll see. I'll be at the Grand Canyon, and I will marvel, marvel at the glory of God. But this week's actually the anniversary of my sister's death from a rare form of cancer. And um, she was first diagnosed at 12 and then seemed to have beat it and then it came back when she was 20 and she died soon thereafter, a very painful death. You say, Ed, this sermon was really encouraging about God's goodness and God's greatness. What I want you to see is even in the midst of the world's brokenness, the majesty of God is that which gives us grace and comfort. So let me tell you, 
without going into all the details of. That just happens to be on my mind, and it seemed to fit in this text, so let me explain. So I was there when she died, and our whole family was, and so after that, I will tell you, I don't know why that happened, and people come up and say, well, God must have had a better plan. Don't say stuff like that. Um, you know, they, they seem to be with us, and, but for me, the, the, it was a difficult journey. It was difficult for my family to walk through this, for some walked away from God, some of us drew closer to God, but I remember that day, she lived in the Orlando area, I had come home from college, and, and that day when she died, I drove over to the beach, and I stood at the beach in Daytona Beach, it was late, it was by myself, and, and I, was, I was yelling at God, I was saying things to God, some things like the psalmists say, complaining to God, speaking of this is unfair, and all of those things. And I will tell you, at that moment, God did not tell me the reason, and I still don't know. I still have questions. One day when I get to heaven, I'm sure it'll be clear. But at that moment, praying on my knees or standing up and walking and yelling and walking through all the pain and frustration, I actually came back to this verse, this verse, and looking in the ocean and its waves and The moon was actually in the distance, and I sang a song, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, with tears streaming down my eyes, with a lack of clarity of what happened that still decades later I still don't have answers for. I didn't get the answers, but I got more of God, and he was enough. Because he is all-powerful and all-knowing, right? So, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name, is your cry and your prayer. When you understand who God is, you don't get to find it all out now because I'm finite, right? God is God, you are not. I don't get all the answers now, but God is God, you are not, that God deeply cares for you. And that day, my grief didn't go away. My grief still lasts. I still remember the dates. But on that day, I knew again that God cared for me. So you can go that Grand Canyon moment and say, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name over all the earth. Yahweh Adonai, how majestic is your name over all the earth and give him glory. And I plan to do that three days after being with you, standing there with my daughter, if that cloud stays away. And in the midst of difficult and tragedy, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, when we know that God is God and you are not, and God cares deeply for you, it shapes everything that we do. So we can sing as we are in just a moment. We can sing, oh, praise the name. And some of you will sing, oh, praise the name, because you've had a glorious morning and you just feel the Lord's presence. And some of you will sing it through tears because you too are walking through a difficult and hard time. Yet still, oh, praise the name. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I wonder if you might join me in prayer and then join me in praise together. Let's stand to our feet as we pray. Father, we come before you this day knowing that God is God and we are not. Could you just take just a moment just praying and just acknowledge God's glory, his majesty, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want you actually to pray that, to say that, and to pray that out loud with me in just a moment. We're going to say, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, that's what we we want because it's true. 
Because it's true, the, the universe beyond our comprehension, and you, you created that with your fingers on a, on, a, on, a, on a moment, right? Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Father, for some of us, we're walking through a hard time, and yet in your majesty we stand, in, your, in the confidence that you are God and we are not. We don't understand it all, but we have confidence that you are God. For some of us, we just think of the beauty of the world around us, and it's a beautiful day and a beautiful time, and we acknowledge it too. Would you say those words with me from the psalm? Let's say it together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, we're going to praise your name. We're going to give you glory as we continue to sing. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen.